welcome into the On Acquire podcast. Jeremy Warner, Joey Wagner, Ryan Easterling going to join us shortly, we think. Uh, but we have, Joey, three Illinois football commitments to talk about as Illinois has gotten off to a very, very quick start. In the class of 2025, over the weekend, Carson Boyd, three stars, St. Louis Cardinal Ritter, but he is from O'Fallon, Illinois, so he's an in-state kid, uh, commits to Illinois over several Power 4 options. Missouri was really in on him, a lot of other schools. And then today, uh, we're recording this on Monday, Griffin Rousseau, big lineman out of Wisconsin, 6'7", 305 pounds, commits to Illinois. He had offers from Duke and Syracuse. Both those programs had coaching turnover during the offseason. But this is a rare, quick start in recruiting, uh, in a recruiting cycle for Illinois. I went nerdy, Joey, if you would imagine. Um, and Yeah, so January 29th, Illinois has three commitments. Just to put this in perspective, last year it took until May 4th, Trey Petty, for Illinois to get its third commitment. Two years ago, TJ McMillan, May 21st, to get their third commitment. 2022, Hunter Whitenack, April 16th. Now, that was the COVID year, but that was the third commitment. Um, dating back to 2017, since I've really, really been doing this, uh, Illinois averaged its third commitment on April 30th. Illinois has three commitments on January 29th. Does that mean anything in the long term? We can get into that, but it's certainly a more encouraging start, more online with the Big Ten peers. Illinois right in the middle, seventh, tied for seventh in the Big Ten with Michigan, uh, one other program with three commitments so far. Yeah, I think what you're seeing is years of relationship building coming to fruition, and Illinois had done a good job, obviously, with those guys. Oh, looking sharp, Ryan Easterling. Uh, but we, we've seen Griffin Rousseau on campus a handful of times. We've seen Michael McDonough on campus a handful of times. We, we know they've been recruiting Carson Boyd for a while. Like that's when you have a coaching staff in place and there has been turnover, Jeremy, I, I'm sure we will get to that later on in this podcast. But when you have those relationships established for more than four or five months and you can get those guys down here a number of times, that, that helps get some of those early commitments, gets those guys to feel comfortable and ready to go and, you saw that play out over the weekend. Yeah, Ryan, we've been talking about slow starts. How concerned should you be? I always wait until June, get through June, see where you are. But I think this certainly is a good thing. I don't think this is a bad thing. I, I don't think this is uh, anything to scoff at because most importantly, you have a couple recruiters now. I, I think that's the biggest thing. Carson Boyd can help recruit in the Metro East St. Louis area. Michael McDonough can help recruit in state. Griffin Rousseau uh, can help you sell other guys. And, you know, other guys see what their peers are doing. So if Illinois has one commitment going into May, people are like, is that program going in the right direction? But if you got guys buying into you that are legit power four prospects, that, that can only help. So what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you've seen it in the past years where a lot of the guys haven't started jumping on board until that big visit push in the summer, um, especially after they started moving uh, official visits up to the summer. And so, uh, you know, you make a really good point. I think one area where Illinois had a lot of success in recent years is they've had recruits recruiting their peers. Uh, you know, the staff has proven they they can be good recruiters, but when you have the added firepower of getting guys on board early to champion the class and take ownership of it, I think it only helps your case. Um, and two, to that point, I think one of the reasons that they're doing a lot better now in terms of getting early success is they finally got kind of caught up. 
You know, they spent years after staff transition, after staff transition, where they were kind of behind the eight ball in terms of trying to get caught up on classes and start to get ahead on other classes. And now I think you've seen where they were able to lay some groundwork in the previous cycle for 2025, and now they're starting to capitalize on that. Yeah, Joey, and uh, I usually would start with a quarterback because it's a really big deal uh, to get a quarterback first. But two linemen, this is very on brand for Brett Bielma and Bart Miller to add two big physical linemen here. I, I saw Michael McDonough play Lincoln Way East, and that's a loaded Lincoln Way East team. Uh, but you can see the physicality. A guard, center prospect, picked Illinois overall for some Colorado, Purdue, some other power four options. Really good in-state get. And then to get Griffin Rousseau, who they were the first college to offer him. Uh, and then Mike Elko when he was at Duke. Uh, and Dino Babers when he was at Syracuse offered him as well. But 6'7", 305. I'll ask Ryan Moore for the, the breakdown of, of what he brings, but it's this is very on brand for Illinois to, to start on the offensive line. I think it tells a lot about their sell to get Michael McDonough uh, to buy in. I, I also think Bart Miller's a pretty good recruiter. Yeah, I think Bart Miller is a really good recruiter. Um, yeah, you're you're seeing a, a type, right? They get big, 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 big linemen. I mean, that's it sounds stupid or elementary to say, but like they are recruiting huge individuals up front. And I think with Michael McDonough, like you mentioned, you get an interior prospect. He said he's comfortable on all five at, at high school. I think the three of us probably project him more at one of the two guard spots or possibly at center, which they seem kind of heavy at center. So, so one of the two guard spots would make sense. And Rousseau would be a guy who feels like you've got a lot of guys who could play right tackle. Jeremy, we were talking about this before we, we went live on YouTube feel pretty good about where they're at at left tackle. Like, that feels set to me. Left tackle of all the positions feels set when you go from a J.C. Davis into Brandon Henderson. And right tackle, maybe it's a little recency bias in our brains a little bit, but right tackle was an issue early on last season. They got that solidified, and you're still looking to see who could do that. We think they've got options, but Rousseau's another kid you would think could be in that conversation to play one of the guard spots or kick out to tackle. Uh, Tackles are hard to find, too, right? I mean, the not enough tackles, not enough defensive linemen, uh, but to get him and maybe see if he's in a position to go out and play that spot, uh, that's big for Illinois because I do like what they've done, especially interior-wise, over the last couple of classes. Yeah, Joe, and I want to mention that. Like, the last two classes before this were really, really a step up uh, in just recruiting wins. If you're just going by their offer sheets, it's a huge step up. Like, Brandon Henderson didn't have a ton of offers, but we know what kind of prospect he is. But Brandon Hansen, Zafir Stewart, A.J. Dennis, Eddie Turk, T.J. McMillan, um, you know, even Zach Amlin, like these guys had really good offer lists. So the depth they're building up there, which has been a concern ever since Brett Bielma got here, it's all got to develop. It's all got to play out. But they just have more talent, uh, more depth of talent uh, up front on the offensive line to where you think what happened early this year shouldn't happen again. Yeah. Go ahead, Joey. Yeah. In, in, injuries, I mean, injuries always hurt. But you could see in the first couple of years under Bielema, they were an injury or two away from being in real trouble. And now it feels like they've got something pretty close to a legitimate bona fide too deep. And that is huge for depth. I mean, he, they made a point about being uh, really concerned about getting as thin as they did at the end of last year. And you think about what hap- would have happened two years ago if any of those guys got hurt. They were really blessed with good health a couple mm-hmm. years ago. Um and they just can't have that happen where, you know, one or two guys getting hurt just wrecks the O-line. And you, you saw what happened this year. 
one guy gets hurt, it displaces a bunch of guys because they're moving pieces around to try and get their best five out there. It, but it, it kind of disrupted the flow. Now, if you can get a true two deep out there that allows you to stay within yourself, stay within your scheme and not have guys having to shuffle around too much and they can just kind of play within themselves. Yeah. What do you think of, of McDonough and Rousseau, Ryan? Like, how do you project them? What do they bring on the field? Well, I, re- I really like McDonough as a guard. As Joey pointed out, they're pretty well set at center, especially if A.J. Dennis ends up playing center. Yeah. I mean, that's a real possibility. Um, and they've got some other good pieces there, like Josh Cruz has really stepped up. He's been good there. Um, so I could see McDonough being probably a guard. You know, one of the things that stood out to me a lot on his tape is he is extremely good at pulling into space and getting out there and getting to the second level. He's super mobile. You know, maybe not the the big massive O lineman that some of the other guys in the class are, but he's super mobile. Um, and once he adds a little bit more strength, and you know, Jeremy was quick to point out he's a wrestler. You know how I feel about that. I will I will beat that drum until the day I go home. But um, you know, I, I think he's just real physical, gets out in space, and he's a guy that allows them to do some of that run and shoot type offense where they're getting stuff coming out of the backfield or throwing screens. Um, as far as Rousseau, though, I mean, I, I like him at right tackle. I think they have a need there. It's really not a solidified position long term. They've got some good options, but his frame is huge. He doesn't carry a lot of bad weight. Yeah. He's a four zero student. Um, you know, he's just he's got all the right pieces. Maybe he doesn't have like the elite potential that some of the other guys have uh, in the class, but he's just a rock solid guy that you can rely on out there. I mean, there's a reason they targeted him so diligently early on, and for a guy. <laughs> who goes to school maybe 20 minutes from Madison, Wisconsin, uh, to not get a Wisconsin offer and to, to go to Illinois. Um, you know, I think maybe there'll be a little bit of a chip on his shoulder too. Oh, there is. Uh, you can read that in my story. <laughs> Spoiler I alert. About this. Um, him and Brandon Hansen. you feel like if one of those guys should work out at right tackle, right? That's, like, that's meat. Yeah, that like that, meat. that's huge dudes. And if one of them doesn't work out a tackle, you could slide into guard and just give you mm-hmm. uh, potentially more depth right there. So, yes, they got the beef. <laughs> There's no question of where's <laughs> those, the beef up here. Those are two guys who love to put people on the turf. Yeah, and that's that's Bart Miller's style. And this team definitely wants to run the ball, even though Barry Lunny has definitely brought more of a passing attack. Speaking of that, uh, you got to be really encouraged about what Barry Lunny is building in that quarterback room. And I think some, I think Joey used the word continuity. And listen, I know you. everyone wants to fire their coordinator every year after that happens, but Illinois has not had continuity at the offensive coordinator position in a long time. Is Barry Lunny the first one to make it three years since Loxley? Like, it has been a long time. I guess we could count Cubit because he was head coach and offensive coordinator, but it's been a while. And really, since Cubit, there hasn't been a quarterback room probably that you felt good about. Um, you know, he had Lunt, Riley O'Toole, and Aaron Bailey at one point. I don't think he recruited any of those guys. But um, And now you have Luke Altmeyer, Donovan Leary, uh, Cal Swanson, Trey Petty, who just arrived, and Carson Boyd, a three-star prospect from O'Fallon, Illinois, plays at Cardinal Ritter, led him to a state championship, split time with an older Division I quarterback who's going to Western Illinois, basically won the job over that guy, even though he was older and more experienced. 28 touchdowns to one interception. I talked to him this afternoon, and he was pissed about that interception in the state in the state playoffs um and 80 percent completion rate great athlete i like what barry Lunny is bringing in this quarterback room joy especially when you had petty and carson boyd 
two no doubt power four prospects, two guys with dynamic ability, and two guys that I talking with them just really smart quarterbacks who have been coached well at the high school level been playing this position for a long time for those guys to come in behind Leary and Altmeyer, uh, I feel like they're building something there I know attrition happens at this position but to add this these kind of pieces this is as good as I felt about the quarterback room in probably about a decade for Illinois yeah and there's kind of a a succession plan a little yeah. bit in place where you don't have these massive gaps of well this guy's the senior and then oh oh goodness everyone else is a redshirt freshman like you have a legitimate I mean you've seen quarterbacks now attrition happens uh, I I think we have to all acknowledge that as you mentioned with the quarterback spot but there's a succession plan and there's talent and to, to follow two classes where you go Petty and Boyd I mean that's a pretty good haul and, and as you mentioned I haven't two state Boyd, champions by the way yeah and and Petty kind of definitely oozes that leadership. Uh, we had him on the signing day special, Jeremy, who was really, really impressive to talk to. I'm assuming Boyd has very, very similar qualities. I think we're also seeing, I know we're seeing, and Barry Lonnie talked about it a little bit on the signing day special we had, it's not a prerequisite for them to have a dual threat guy, but they sure like guys who can move. And they like guys who can get out there and make play. They don't have to be a, you know, like we thought of Isaiah Williams coming into college. They don't have to be that. They have to be guys who can be, efficient with their legs and I think you see another obviously with that with Boyd I think it's a priority for them to be honest with you because if you do not have the stud wideouts that all these other teams or the, the depth they have or you have some issues up front what can overcome that it's it's an athletic quarterback that puts stress on a defense so I, I think it's a huge priority for him um, I, I think he'll say that he's not like that's not the number one thing because it's not. You got to be able to pass in his offense. You got to be able to read and do all those things. But Ryan, he's an explosive uh, athlete. I, I watched the film, and there's Isaiah Williams things that he can do with his legs. Um, you know, I don't know how fast Isaiah is in the time. I'm interested to see if with the combine, but he's got long speed. But he's probably more accurate. He's probably. Um, got his better touch than Isaiah had as a quarterback at that time. Maybe Isaiah's a little bit better of an athlete, but I'm really excited about it. What do you see him on film from Carson Boyd? Yeah, I mean, you don't get to 28 touchdowns to one interception by being a mediocre passer with mediocre accuracy and mediocre timing. Um, you know, as good as he is with his legs, I really like that he can move the pocket. But one thing that really stood out to me is when he was flushed out of the pocket or rolled out, he kept his eyes downfield. You know, he wasn't just looking to tuck and run every single time that he felt some heat in the pocket. And so that allowed him to get his receivers open downfield a lot of times. And when he had an opportunity, he put it right on the money. I mean, his his accuracy is great. I, I get similar vibes from him as I did from Trey Petty in the sense that if he was a little bit bigger, maybe a little bit taller, he probably has a lot more offers. But being, you know, six foot, six one, maybe not the biggest guy out there, Maybe that held off some of the top programs, but like his statistically speaking, his numbers are great. His tape is phenomenal. Uh, you know, he can run when he needs to, but it's not necessarily his first option. Um, and I mean, he puts it right on his receivers in stride. I, I really like his tape. He's really accurate. That confidence obviously goes a long way as well um, towards helping. So, fifty-seven touchdowns to four interceptions in two seasons hasn't lost a single high school game as a starter. Two state championships doesn't get much better than that in terms of performance yeah and I gotta tell you just talking with the kid a couple times like I'm, I'm really impressed with him uh and he's already starting to recruit guys uh in that metro east area mm -hmm. that that Illinois is going after now guys the question is can Illinois keep up this 
seeming momentum. I mean, three guys in 10 days. Now, Carson told me he actually committed in December, didn't announce it until this week, of course. Uh, Griffin said he started to think about it last week. Uh, Michael McDonough obviously gets on board first publicly, but can they keep up this momentum? And Joey, they had a, a huge junior day, and uh, they wanted Michael and Carson to, to help recruit these guys, and they got some of their, their top priorities on campus. So, so who are some of the guys, uh, after we've caught up with them, and we've got plenty of uh, updates on the site here the last couple of days. Who are some guys you're focused on, or, or how do you think they can continue, continue this momentum? Yeah, can I make one more quick, quick point about the quarterback? Yeah. They got their quarterback early. Yeah. Like, that, that tells me they got a guy they targeted early and not having to kind of scour around a little bit. And I think and, that's a big deal. For and them to your to point, and, to your point yeah. Carson said they made me priority. Like, some of these other schools are kind of like, yeah, we like you. Let's get you on campus later here. Illinois got him on campus in December by himself for his basically own junior day, and that was huge for him. They're like, you're our guy. We want you on board. Like, come be our quarterback, and he loved that because Missouri was kind of – I mean, Missouri can go after some pretty big targets here. They can go some big game hunting, but I think that's credit to Illinois and Barry Lunny. For, for picking out his guy and getting one on board early. Last year, Daniel Neal was kind of their guy early. They pivoted to Trey Petty, who I think is a great prospect. Uh, earlier, Cal Swanson was kind of like, a, we're in this late because we, Barry Lunny just got here. Who can we get in on in this class? So I think that's huge uh, that they're getting their quarterback earlier because that is the the one that gets going early. So, um, yeah, anyway, uh, there's urgency yeah. to find those quarterback spots. Anyway, who, who do you think or what do you think is next for Illinois? I mean, I think you got to look at someone like Braden Trimble, who's been on campus a number of times. He's from Mount Zion. You're less than an hour, less than 90 minutes from Champaign. He's got a lot of good competition. He's got offers. He's told me Nebraska is really pushing for him. He plans to visit Iowa. I mean, he, he's a talented wide receiver. He put up close to 1,000 receiving yards as a junior. Uh, but Illinois has done a good job. They got him early. They weren't his first power five. That truly does not seem to be something that really matters to him i've not heard him mention anything like that northwestern was and and i don't know how thoroughly they're pushing for him at the moment or how thoroughly he's looking at them so he's a guy i don't know that he's in an uh in a hurry to commit yeah he he told me he'd like to do it after his football season we'll see you know uh, some of those plans get changed when you start jumping on ovs in the summer and start visiting campus but he's he's a guy i would look at they I mean, I think there's a lot they like about him. They prioritized him seeing basketball practices and games and obviously making sure he got there for junior day. Uh, Jeremy, I know defensive lineman Cameron Brooks from Homewood Flossmore would be a guy to look at. I think they've still – there's so much competition. Someone like Andre Labette, they've done a good job with him. I mean, he's another guy. Now that you start doing this and you see these same faces, it seems like for football games going back to that breakthrough season, right? And you see him last year and – those just guys that you've seen their names a lot, and like those matter. Those long-standing relationships matter. Guys who have been here several times over the past year, and as Ryan was talking about, like you've been here a while. Like the, the staff has been here a while. They're caught up. Like they've gotten Levette on campus, I think, more than anybody so far. Even though you know Missouri, Purdue, Iowa, like that's a big-time battle for a three-star DB from Blue Island Eisenhower and the Chicagoland area. Uh, Cameron Brooks, Illinois got in early he's been to campus four five times now you're beating you're 
competing with Kansas. And Kansas got a good sell. They have a couple defensive linemen that might get drafted. Obviously beat you last year and have a top 25 program coming back. And Leipold's building that thing. Those are probably the three guys uh, I'm looking at uh, most here. And, and Ryan, obviously you got to keep swinging for some of these big targets. And Nate Marshall, top 50 prospect, was on campus. Illinois lost out on Caden O'Rourke, who follows his brother footstep, um, Devin, to Northwestern. And, uh, you know, Notre Dame has three of the top 12 prospects in the state. Michigan is recruiting this state incredibly hard. And then you have Miami and Alabama, all these big-time programs coming in for these big-time prospects. Um, it is It has been a struggle to, to keep some of these top targets here. But, you know, when you go 5-7 and seven and you're competing against some of these really proven powerhouses, it's hard to get some of those guys. But Illinois is in way more battles for these, you know, power four prospects I don't want to call them second-tier prospects, but guys Illinois was struggling to really get the last couple of years of the Lovey Smith era. Yeah, I mean, some of that is just the general talent of the roster has increased, and that level just breeds more competition. But the, some of the guys they're getting have connections to either younger teammates from high school. They, they're building better relationships with a lot of the coaches in the state. I mean, there's still feedback coming out now that, you know, schools are getting visits from this staff and from coach Bielema that haven't seen Illinois coaches in their halls in a long time. And, you know, while it may not be yielding fruit yet, those are the things you have to do. We've, we talked about this in the past and a lot of people, you know, might boo boo this because, you know, Oh, they're not getting the results. It's just lip service. It's like, well, those are still things you need to do to show that you're invested in recruiting those players, even if it doesn't yield immediate results. Because a year or two down the road, that coach is going to remember, hey, you've really been trying here, and it keeps mm-hmm. those doors open. You know, I, The first two years that Bielema was back in Illinois, a lot of the effort was just getting back into those doors. Yep. It was places that they, they had gotten shut out of, whether it was just because former staffs hadn't talked to those schools or because Illinois had maybe done something that was like off-putting, but they have found their way back into these conversations and, you know, they're leveraging the right relationships. They're um, building a roster that makes a lot more sense. It's more balanced. They're, they're increasing depth. And I mean, I think you would ask any of the staff, they tell you this last year was a disappointment in terms of the project on the product on the field compared to what they were expecting. But I think you can still safely say that at least in terms of the overall talent and composition of the roster, that it still took a step forward. Yeah, Joe, it's going to be hard for Illinois to land. I always say Epinesa out of Edwardsville, five-star prospect, Nate Marshall out of Fenwick, Deer Hill out of Altoff, Chris Burgess committed to Notre Dame uh, and they did everything right in that recruitment but it's Notre Dame. Gabe Kaminsky out of Nazareth. These are top 10 prospects. Jason Dowell has the SEC coming out of Alto Catholic, a defensive lineman. It's going to be hard to get those guys, but like those guys do show up to campus. Like Those guys are open-minded to Illinois. Like Illinois was in to see Epinesa and his dad's tweeting about Brett Bielma stopping by. Jason Dowell's tweeting about it. Um, Nate Marshall shows up to an Illinois junior day Listen, I know they're not. That's not a win. Maybe it can be in two or three years in the in the portal or whatever it is, and maybe that's not enough for Illini fans right now. But it, just based on what we've seen, what Ryan and I have seen, you have seen, that is a step forward. And when they're also winning the Eddie Turks, Tyshawn Griffins, um, Caden Fagan, Malik Elzey, like they are starting to win more of those. It's just still hard for Illinois to beat Notre Dame and uh, Alabama and Michigan and all those schools. Yeah, I mean, look, Illinois 
Think about what Illinois football has been for most of these kids' lives. That's just the reality. And it's hard to win some of those when you're going up against that. And people don't want to hear that. I understand that. And people don't. Just win, baby. Right. And people don't see a prospect. And now, you know, you got to have good prospects to win, but you got to win to get good. Like it's, you're kind of stuck. Yeah. And you've got to figure your way through it. And I get it. Like people hear this and think, okay, he was on campus. That doesn't mean much. And it might not, it it might not lead to a recruitment for these guys. Right. Like that's just a reality of it. Maybe you get them on the second time around if, if they portal and play a lot of players portal. Right. So I don't, I understand. Like, I understand the frustration when you see this and you see this is a really good 25 class in the state of Illinois. It is really, really good. There's a lot of talent. I thought 24 had a lot of really good top-end talent. And you saw that play out with with big-time programs coming into the state, flying into Chicago, and and making moves and getting these kids. So Helicoptering into their football fields. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an impression. Offering great NIL, too. Right, like I, we can't, right. we can't ignore like, we can't that. Ignore that. Miami yeah. coming in here and you know stealing two of the top prospects, not only from Illinois but from Ohio State. Like they are Miami coming in here and stealing prospects from Ohio State. Like Illinois can't compete with that right now. No, and that's that's the thing. So it just to get these guys back to, on campus and put your best foot forward. That's look. I mean, they're going into year four now. We've seen staffs around this time of their tenure, focus their attention elsewhere in the state of Illinois, right? When when it doesn't bear fruit, you go look in the Florida's, the Texas's, you go look around a little bit more because the reality is you got to win. And if you're not getting that in the state, then someone's got to come in and you got to repair these relationships and the cycle goes on and on and on. Uh, But Brett Bielma and his coaching staff are are staying true to it. They're they're staying true to going on the road, getting in all of these high schools, putting their face forward, trying whatever they can to, to get these guys we'll see if it plays out uh, i mean i think there's i mean obviously there's talent there's still talent for guys who are in the mix for but you got to get them you yeah. got to get them and getting three guys who i would imagine all three of these guys or two of the three are going to be on that first or second ob weekend yep. in june with, with some of the other big names we'll see how it plays out then yeah right i got i i think joey hit it right here you keep doing it you keep recruiting the state and they keep getting players like they keep winning power four battles but yeah keep doing it and then you gotta win on the field you gotta go elsewhere and illinois has gone elsewhere in the the midwest especially and in florida uh, and gotten some talent so i think you just keep doing what you're doing keep uh keep uh you know swinging the swinging the rock here keep on keeping on yeah yeah so it's interesting so i've been uh i previously read a book and i was revisiting it called uh good to great and one of the things in there that, honestly, I was just listening to on the flight in here to Kansas City was uh, this thing called the hedgehog concept. And it's basically this tenant or this belief or this kind of mantra that a lot of companies have or like these top executives have where even when it doesn't look like it's the right thing to do, you stick with what you truly believe in and with like unwavering commitment. Dan and, Campbell. You know, that's really a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're biting kneecaps. <laughs> and now they're now they were one step short of the Super Bowl. But, you know, it's one of those things where if Bielema believes in it, and it was something that when he came here, he stated as being something important. And I think he's proving now that it wasn't just lip service. Yep. You know, it's something that he really believes in, is committed to, and knew that he might not see results from it right away. Um, and so when it really breaks through, you know, some of these companies that, that had those things that they did or these, these paths they took, whether it was these crazy sales or whatever of certain business lines and did things that didn't make sense, you know, eventually they broke through 
and when they broke through, it was in a big way. And so, you know, it might seem like baby steps right now with, with some of the gains and the improvements they've made. But, you know, over time, if they really break through and stick to it, I think it could be um, something that really works out well for them in the end if they stick to their plan. Yeah, and Joey, that's kind of a good way to describe the Bielma era, despite 2022 was more than baby step. But you look at it as a whole, it might look like baby steps from the outside, but it's still progress. Like the, the competitiveness, the better recruiting process, the development. Like I feel like this roster is deeper. It's a, it's a deeper, more well-rounded roster. I think the coaching hires have been better. We'll get into George McDonald here. I still feel like there's been progress. And I think the start of this recruiting class is another sign. Like there's progress. It's just incremental. It's not, oh my gosh, we hire a guy. Here's all the four and five stars. It was never going to be that with Brett Bielma. Like this is a a developmental program. And now we got to see how he develops all these recruits we've talked about and whether it is enough talent compared to the rest of the Big Ten. Yeah. And look, you see, you've seen hires across the country where they come in one year and it's a magic wand is waved and they have a couple winning seasons and like Illinois had that 22 season and last season was a disappointment. It was a step back from what we thought they were going to be. It wasn't a bottom out yeah. and like, it's not even the bar, right? Like I don't even want to say that to make it sound like, Oh, well, at least they didn't crash and burn in a year. Like, Cause that's not what this program is, is trending towards being or what it, how it should be compared. But yeah, I think you looked at there was There's a lot of disappointment and, and a lot of key positions or a few key positions last year. But I, you're right. There's more depth. We, we talked about it with the offensive line. There's like a legitimate two deep where you're not moving. Like the depth chart we did a month ago, guys, it wasn't the same name. Name is the backup for all five positions like you've had to do before because there aren't people who can play, ready to play guys. So you're seeing depth start to emerge. But yeah, now it's on, okay, you, you're primarily, with, with very few holdovers, you're primarily your classes. Like mm-hmm. it, it is... I'd have to look at the percentage of the roster. It'll help when we get the official spring roster, but I think we we know it well enough. I would imagine there's, I'm just ballparking, 10 or 15%, probably less than that, 8 to 10% of Lovey guys left on this roster. Yeah, and most of them didn't play for Lovey, right? Right, that's right, that's right. So now it's, okay, these are your guys you recruited. You've had, still haven't had a lot of time with some of those better classes let's just call it what it is you haven't had a lot of time more with the 23 and then obviously the 24 class just got there this month but you need to have some of those guys ready to to step into bigger roles your ashton hollands of the world your malik elsies of the world as we continue to long-standing tease this george mcdonald conversation (laughs) Uh, like those guys caden fagans right aiden lawfrey those guys need to be ready to step into a bigger role because they've had one they're needed and they've had time on campus so i think that's now it's the development portion. Obviously, we'll still cover the heck out of recruiting because recruiting is getting it's better. You know, it's been fine, but now now you got to see these guys develop and get out on the field. Yeah. So let's speak about George McDonald reportedly heading to Ole Miss. Nothing official from Ole Miss. Nothing official from Illinois quite yet but he was not from what we saw at the basketball game for the junior day event he was not in home for carlos Orr's in-home visit from a lot of the illini staff which included brett bioma barry loney 
Thad Ward, who has wide receivers coach experience. Uh, this is a loss. I mean, George McDonald's a very good coach. We saw what he developed with not only Isaiah Williams, but Casey Washington now having a shot to potentially get to the NFL. Pat Bryant is an NFL prospect. That was a really good trio of receivers last year, and he's recruited extremely well. So uh, if he does move on, that's a loss. I can't blame him going to coach for a top 12 program that's going to have college football playoff potential for a coach who's an offensive coach there's gonna be plenty of opportunity for george mcdonald to to potentially rise and and become a play caller potentially or you know really help his resume to become a head coach at some point but ryan what do you think the impact of of losing george mcdonald would be well it's tough um you know he's he, he really really elevated that wide receiver room compared to when he took it over um, you know, long-term impact, a lot of that's going to depend on who replaces him. Uh, you know, if they are able to find somebody who is both a good coach and can keep this receiver room together and keep steering the ship and moving it forward, then, you know, maybe the loss isn't that bad. But it always stings when you lose one of your own, too, because, yeah. you know, George McDonald is an Illinois alum. You know, he was one of the originals on Bielema's staff, and now Bielema has to replace a position on this staff that he hasn't had to yet. You know, McDonald stuck around with Lunny coming in. Um, I guess same could be said too about Bart Miller. But um, yeah, it's it's tough because you see what he's done with this room. You see some of the guys that he's produced. You see some of the production that's increased from the wide receiver group. Um, and now you've you've got to either uh, replace him with somebody that can keep that up, or you potentially look at taking a step back. And you you hope that the second is. Uh, not what ends up happening so really really key hire here you know i don't want to judge it necessarily just yet until we see who ends up taking over for him but it is a it is a big loss uh and we'll just kind of see what bielema does about it can i add just if this is you're going to old miss as you mentioned jeremy college football playoff you're going there i i don't know the timeline i'm sure barry lonnie has head coaching aspirations i think I, i'm sure Everyone who's a coordinator eventually wants to be a coach. If you get into this, right, you want to be the, the, mm-hmm. the biggest voice in the room. I don't know what the timeline is for that. So maybe his timeline to get that step up doesn't align with George McDonald's timeline to want to jump into that coordinator play caller spot, if that makes sense. So, like, yes, you, you don't want to lose an alum. Or as Ryan mentioned, the first guy that you have on staff kind of stuck there, right? Like, okay, Barry's done a good job. He's, he's helped really elevate this offense. When is he going to make that leap to a head coach? And maybe George wants to be a little more fast-tracked. George is 47 years old. Yeah, maybe he wants to be fast-tracked in his jump to a coordinator spot. Not to say you can't get a coordinator spot from Illinois' wide receiver coach, and and I think he was the associate head coach, Jeremy. Um, But look, you go to a college football playoff team, you're probably going to have a a few more options going to the SEC. So it's a tough loss. Like, Ryan nailed it. Go ahead. Yeah, Yeah, this 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 is a big hire. Because George did a great job of turning the talent in that room. Like, that is a talented room. It's young. It's very young. Uh, and the development of LZ, Hollins, Tyshawn Griffin, Colin Dixon, Hank Beatty, like, it is going to be very important. And Pat Bryant, who's, who's got a chance to be an, an NFL player. So, uh, Barry Lunny, I thought the passing attack was really encouraging last year. I, I like what he does in that passing attack. And now they have to take it to the next level um, without a guy who's been really important, a part of that. So, uh, there's a lot of pressure. I mean, we saw last year, like, when you got to replace some guys you didn't want to lose 
it's not always easy uh, to, to find a replacement who uh, elevates the next group or can continue to do that. So, Ryan, there's a lot of pressure on, on Brett. He's got to replace Andy Boo still. He's got to repress, uh, replace George McDonald. So, obviously, Andy Boo was his decision. George McDonald was not. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always easier when you know what's coming. Um, and I, you know, we don't have insight into that room really to the degree of knowing whether this caught Bielema off guard or if this was something they had talked about. You know, Bielema has always seemed like somebody who wants to support his guys going into bigger and better roles. I'm sure he was wishing that that would be on his own staff. Um, but you know, I, I think he probably is prepared for these situations. He at least would know that this could happen someday. Um, you know, most good coaches, just like most good ADs, keep that short list of candidates that they want to reach out to when something like this happens. And so, you know, with the timing, it's a little bit unfortunate. At least it didn't happen before signing day, which is always a good thing. You know, a lot of these coaches do hang on through signing day. But you know, it's really important, especially now, just to, to not lose any of that momentum they've got going to get the right guy in place and also get the right guy in place before they start spring football. You know, we're, we're two, three weeks maybe away from the start of spring conditioning or like heavy spring conditioning. And then uh, when early March rolls around, they're probably getting ready for spring football. So it's, it's really important to get somebody in there that gets up to speed on the terminology, can provide some consistency and, uh, you know, try and pick up where McDonald left off without completely reinventing things. This is a little bit more turnover, Joy, than I expected uh, after the end of the season um, with Boo and Finellis. I, I thought one of those assistants on defense could, could potentially be changed, uh, but now you got to replace a, a wide receiver. And, man, this coaching carousel continues as you have more, you know, upheaval across the country. I, I did think it was a good thing that Michigan uh, hired internally for their strength and conditioning coach because Tank Wright was from that Ben Herbert tree. He's following Jim Harbaugh to the San Diego Chargers, their weight coach. So I think Tank Wright's a big part of this. Uh, somebody Brad asked about the the weight program. I think that's been a strength. Uh, you know, I know they had some running back injuries, but it wasn't like consistent ACL injuries, right? Like there's going to be injuries in football and Illinois had a little bit more last year probably than they hoped but I think Tank Wright's been a, a really good part of that room and strength coach every coach will tell you is probably one of the most important hires because they spend more time with the players than anybody yeah I don't get a chance to give you a hard time very often so if Ben Herbert follows Jim Harbaugh to the San Diego Chargers he might be looking around Los San Angeles waiting sorry the, yeah. waiting for the Chargers to get there <laughs> I know I just wanted to they should be in San Diego because no one goes to I, they should I know I, I don't get a chance to give you crap very often i also want to point out with the uh the timing of of george mcdonald look portals are the portal right and it's going to open again after spring ball you basically have three months give or take um to to build those relationships keep those relationships with the current staffers you have in place and also with the new wide receivers coach and you got to make sure you're strong, and this is a good – I don't want to call it an audition, but it's not like these guys are jumping in the portal today or tomorrow. Like that's yeah. kind of some of those protections of the, the portal windows give programs is they're here barring graduation, and I think the guys that, that George McDonald recruited are not in – I know the guys he recruited are not in that graduation discussion. So you've got now through the end of spring ball to, to really – 
fortify, solidify, continue those relationships with those guys. And the other thing I do want to mention again is that Thad Ward has been a wide receivers coach before at both Kansas State and Temple. He was at Northern Illinois, Western Michigan. Like He spent more time as a wide receivers coach than a running backs coach. So you do have flexibility. And then he would have camaraderie with some of those guys in that wide receivers room if, if you have that. So it's just something I'm interested in. Does he go hire a running backs coach who usually is more of an up-and-comer? Uh, and, and one name I want to bring up here is Art Sikowski because – we keep hearing about him in recruiting, and he's a student assistant right now, um, obviously former Illini quarterback. I wonder if they – I think Brett Bielema wants to keep him at some point. I think he's pretty green to be an assistant coach, but I think he's going to be a great coach someday. But I wonder if they can keep him in a recruiting role or whatever it is. But uh, I do think he's got some flexibility, Bielema, to potentially go running backs coach here too. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because I can imagine a scenario we're in a press conference in a month and Thad Ward is a running backs coach and Brett Bielema said something along the lines of, I wondered how long George was going to be here and Thad came back and there was an opportunity to move him from one to the other. Uh, so I think that's very much a possibility and it, entirely possible something that Brett Bielema may have had on his radar for a year now or whatever yeah. it's been since he hired Thad Ward. I don't know that to be the case, but... I wouldn't be surprised if you heard something along, if that's the route they go, if you heard something along those lines. So there's a little bit of flexibility there. Um, another name, like, I think Art, I, I like the Art idea. I, I've been, since I sat down with him in Tampa, I've been like, hey, this guy, like, you talk Special. to people, you hear him, you, you know he's impressive. I think he would struggle in a recruiting role because I think he's got to be on the field. Like, I, I just think that's his. Not that he couldn't do struggle the job. personally. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he would do fine in the job for, for what the job's asked. But I don't know that he could not be on a football field yeah. because he's a very vocal individual and a guy who, who really cherishes that part uh, of coaching. So he's someone that you, you do wonder what, and I think Brett Bielman wants to keep him around because you can see that just in the way that they give him responsibilities. So, and he's been a guy on the road with some of the staff turnover. We've seen pictures of him out recruiting high school so i'm very interested to see which path they go but you could see a running backs coach hired and a, a thad ward i guess promotion to a wide receiver coach i think that's very much in the ballpark yeah and i wonder if barry lunny has more of a say in this hire like he kind of inherited a staff does he get more of a say in this one will be interesting ryan any final thoughts before we let you go we know you got another meeting at some point yeah no i, I mean i think to uh, to joey's point having that flexibility really does increase your candidate pool. And so you're not stuck to just trying to hire a running back coach or just trying to hire a wide receivers coach. You can go out and get the best candidate at either position. And as long as that Ward's on board with being flexible, I mean, that, that gives you a little bit of flexibility. Now, again, I, I go back to what I was saying before. Ideally, you get that person in before spring ball. So I don't think they'll drag their feet too much on this. You know, maybe it's somebody, like you said, that Lunny's worked with in the past. Um, one thing that when I was looking back through Bielema's former coaching connections, uh, one of the positions where he's not really had a ton of turnover outside of, you know, surrounding right around his coaching transitions was at receiver. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some other spots where he's had a little more frequent coaching turnover on his assistant tree, but, you know, typically his receivers coaches have stuck around minimum two, sometimes three or four years, um, which when you think about the landscape of assistant coaches is actually pretty stable. So, um, you know, you would hope that he gets somebody that wants to be around for a while. Um, you know, he's, he's had some coaches in his past that have kind of rode with him for several years, but he's had some where it's only been a year or two. So I think, you know, 
the other thing too is McDonald was an associate head coach. And so there is that title now that's potentially available either for an internal <laughs> promotion or gives you the latitude like you guys just signaled for those of us who are not seeing this on video, the dollar dollar bill y'all. So, um, you know, there's, there's a chance that you have a little bit more, um, purchase power with who you, who you go after. You can be a little bit more yep. aggressive, um, or kind of like his belief with NIL reward the guys that got you there. And so, there's a, there's a number of different ways they can go, but you know, going back to what we were saying before, it's an important hire. It's one they got to get right, and you know, while you want to be quick with it to to get that gap filled, you got to get the right guy. And so I, I would expect him to do that as much as, as he can. Ryan, you're the goods man. We'll let you go. Thanks, guys. All right, good Appreciate stuff, you, man. Ryan. Uh, just a couple other questions on our live YouTube here as we wrap up. Harry, how hot is Bart Miller's seat? O line took a step back last year, especially with missed blocks. Great recruiter. Seems like we're getting an O lineman every week, but the development piece is TBD. I think his seat is very cool, Joey. I think it's a pretty cold seat. Um, look, I I know this the stat Harry's referring to the, the chart that came out for most percentage of missed blocks. I'm not saying there's no value in it. Like I, I'm not. My I'm, my problem. You know, my problem with evaluating. You don't know the assignments, right? Like, yeah, that, that's the hardest part of evaluating film is you don't know what the play was, you don't know what the assignment was. Like you can see if a guy gets beat one on one, right? Um, but even like in coverage, sometimes like usually you can tell what the coverage is and what it should be, but you're not for sure. Listen, the offensive line struggled a lot in the first six games, and I I think there's criticism to be had for rolling with right tackle Zai Chrysler, even though he did not practice at the position more than a week during the previous year, right? Like that, there's some criticism to, to go there. Probably should have gone to Isaiah Adams earlier, but they, I think they were just hoping they could keep Adams and Pearl together on the left side and that Chrysler could make do on the right side. They give him some chip help and it didn't work and they had to make a change. I give him credit for making that change. Took a couple weeks for Adams to really settle in. But by the end of the year, the offensive line was solid. Wasn't great, wasn't good, but it was solid uh, enough to help you. And the offense really wasn't the issue towards the end of the season. So um, I, I think Bart Miller is a good coach, just to, to come back to this. I, I think he's a really good coach. He's a great recruiter. Um, guys have gotten better under him. Doug Kramer had his best season with him. Vidarian Lowe had his best season with him. Um, you know, we've seen some guys get Alex into Kalteski, the NFL. Yeah, guys are getting in the NFL. And I think, you know, there's guys now, J.C. Davis believes in him when he could have gone elsewhere. And Kevin Wigginson believes him, could have gone elsewhere. So I think he's done a good job overall. Yeah, look, also, Isaiah Adams and Zai Crystal were good JUCO prospects. They were still JUCO prospects who came in and had all Big Ten-type seasons. I I don't – I understand. I would not dispute that the offensive line struggled early. They would not dispute the offensive line struggled early. They made fixes to correct that, which effectively admitting didn't work. I thought it was a personnel and evaluation decision – more than a development decision. I think the development has been fine, and we still, to, let's also be fair, we haven't seen that play out largely because the guys that they brought in, especially some of the more highly ranked guys, which had come in the last two classes, still need that development piece. So I, his seat is, is cold to me. Like, I, I can't, I, I, I can't imagine much changing that. He, he I think he's a good coach. Yeah. He's recruiting well. I, it's just a rough first half of a year to me. Yeah. Uh, Let's see, I can't even say this name of this person. J-Rob, how we're looking with some higher-end talent, a.k.a. the A.J. Dennis's or Malik Elzies. Looking at the composites, here's some top targets that are four stars, Joey. Nate Marshall, it's going to be really hard to get him over the Alabamas, Michigans, Miamis of the world. Ios Epinesa, um, 
you know, at least they're starting to get a little in there. Seems like maybe they're getting consideration, but with his Iowa ties. Yeah, don't Bielema and his dad have a history? Don't they know each other? I'm not trying to... His dad played at Iowa when Bielema was a GA? Yeah, I'm not trying to paint a wrong picture. They know each other very well. Yeah. Yeah, but look, obviously the Iowa ties are very, very strong with him, but they're they're putting their foot in in that conversation and seeing what what kind of traction they can get. I don't know if it's going to pay off, but they're they're certainly giving it a whirl. I think it would have to take an Iowa coaching change for that to happen, right? Like at the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't... I, I don't. Here's the thing. I, I I think I've talked to Iose once. He was on campus for a game, maybe the season opener last the 22, 22 season, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. I, I could be wrong there. So I don't. I don't want to pretend like I know the kid any better than than you or, or J Rob does. Uh, but the, the Iowa ties are strong because yeah. there's a history and a lineage there. The two Altoff kids, Dier Hill and Jason Dow, Illinois is in on. But again, you're battling SEC Big Ten programs. Gabe Kaminsky, in-state kid, from what I was told, this last weekend was his first visit in a couple years. Uh, so they got him back on campus. I, Charlie Boland, I'm not going to doubt on the recruiting trail. He's He's been really, really good. Uh, and they're going to keep swinging it for Chris Burgess, the, the four-star Simeon Edge who offered first, got on campus a bunch of times. But then, you know, the big dogs come in, and, and Notre Dame's able to, to get a commitment from him. So they'll keep swinging on him. But, no, I don't think, like, I'm not sitting there going they're a favorite for any four-star right now. No, I don't. I'm not going to pretend like they are or lie about that to to anyone to make them feel good. But I, they're the three stars they're getting are like they're, they're winning power five battles. And again, no no one wants the no one wants that kind of moral victory or however they view it. They they want four stars. They want five stars. I understand that. I think Carson Boyd's a very very good get. Carson Boyd's good. In, I, in my yeah, ranking you know, scale, he's a four star, like a lower four star. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. You, you go back and and even in the twenty four class, like they got guys who are French four star guys and four star guys by some other outlets, and right there in the composite. So I get it. Like I, I get it. I get how recruiting is. Can we mention since we brought up Chris Burgess and not not to draw a direct line, but to circle back to the coaching staff a little bit. Dre Brown, ooh, that's a name. Might be, might be someone. I, and that's not, not that we've heard anything, but he's a guy who's, who's done a good job in the recruiting department at Notre Dame. Is he? Some guys like that path too, like Nate McNeil, Pat Embleton. Nate McNeil now at Syracuse. They like that recruiting lane. Like Pat Embleton will tell you, he's told us in one of our medias with him that he came into this thing wanting to be an on-field coach and, and found. So maybe that's what Dre yeah. likes. But he's also a guy that played at Illinois, obviously played running back at Illinois. Has cut his teeth a little bit in, in this college football world. I don't know if he'd be interested. I don't know if Brett would be interested. But since we brought up Notre Dame, it, it made my mind jump back there. It's the Halasek hire of the offensive staff uh, if they want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Brian, how are we looking on D-line, edge prospects? They seem to be positions we've been finding some gems lately. Yeah, I think uh, Cameron Brooks, defensive lineman out of Homewood Flossmore, is one that, you know, Terrence Jameson has had a pretty good year in recruiting. I think he's doing really, really well with him. Uh, edge, Gabe Kaminsky out of Nazareth Academy. Uh, they lost out on Caden O'Rourke, of course. Uh, but he's also been pushing for Landon Brooks out of Muncie, Indiana. Three-star kids, got offers from Indiana, Michigan State. Uh, and could get some more offers, but they got him here for the junior day visit. So uh, I think they've been recruiting those positions pretty well, uh, defensive line and edge, especially the last few recruiting class and I think they'll land some talent there's a lot of talent in the state though at those positions and that's where you want to take advantage and land a couple of them Joey yeah and it's it feels like like let's be honest the defensive line recruiting has gotten a lot better over the last 
18 or so months. It, they missed on some guys early on in, in this coaching staff's tenure. But it also you have to factor in that there's some really good defensive linemen in the state of Illinois. And in the last couple of cycles, those linemen, say for Eddie Turk, have gone have gone elsewhere to some big programs. It's not, I don't know if that makes you feel better that you're not losing them to, a, I guess, like a, a, a program that you feel like you're on the same plane with. Minnesota. Purdue and Indiana, Purdue, yeah. Minnesota. You're losing them to the Michigans, the Notre Dames, the Miamis, uh, you know, go down the list. It's still losing them. And that's kind of the, the end of the story there. But, man, they, they've had some really high end. The state of Illinois has had some high end defensive linemen. All right, last one. Happy Hermit. Maybe high school players are pulling the trigger sooner due to the transfer portal. They want to reserve a spot before it gets filled through that. I can tell you that's why we don't see a lot in January and February anymore. I don't know about this early because if they make their commitment by June, uh, they should be good. Quarterbacks certainly make their decisions early. Uh, but offensive linemen like Michael McDonough or Griffin Rousseau could have stretched us out a little bit. Like maybe Illinois told Gr- would have been at some point like, hey, Griffin, we're going to go after some more guys if you don't want to jump on soon. But I think I, I think it's mostly you don't see as much in January and February now because those guys, those scholarships are just going to transfers to help you immediately. Yeah, I think some of these guys are like Brandon Hansen could have taken his recruitment. Yeah. Well, I mean, God, he could have taken it into January and he didn't, right? Uh, so I just – some I think a lot of this for, for the guys, and I don't think you're going to see a big – like three feels like a lot of commitments before February 1st to me. Like I don't know that you're going to see that really steer into the fives and sixes uh, moving forward. But quarterback getting one early is – so I think it's just really strong relationships playing out. And yeah. you don't need to see anymore. You don't need to see anymore, right? And, and just go on and, and kind of be the leader of that class. All right, Joey Wagner, thank you, buddy. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right, we're about halfway through the Big Ten season, so I thought, why not reach out to Isaac Trotter, who's kind enough to give us some of his time and talk about Big Ten hoops. Already halfway there, man. How are you feeling about it? Man, it's a it's a gauntlet right now. We're kind of in the dog days of the season, right? Just a, a lot of season left, but I feel like we know a lot about these teams, but there's still a lot of questions. And this is the time of the year where things start to get weird. I, I have a feeling that teams are going to start losing some games. It's a, it's a long stretch. Teams start looking ahead to March. But every game is important, and we know in the Big Ten, especially in a, in a conference title chase, it's like you never know what game's going to really end up mattering a whole lot in a couple weeks. Yeah, this is the marathon part of it. I remember, like, was it 2022 when Illinois won a share of the Big Ten championship? Like, it didn't look like they had much of a chance uh, to win it about halfway through the season. They lost back-to-back to Purdue and Maryland. You know, they lost three games in five days there, and then all of a sudden a couple losses – for some other teams uh, opens up some things. So obviously a really, really long way to go. Uh, But let's talk about this. Terrence Shannon's back on the court for Illinois. Hasn't quite looked like Terrence Shannon quite yet. But what are your thoughts on his return to the court and and what we've seen out of this team since he has come back? Yeah, I think when he first came back, I looked at some of the numbers and they were 15 points per 100 possessions better defensively with Shannon on the floor. So I just kind of automatically jumped to the assumption, hey, this defense is going to start kind of getting back to what we thought and it really hasn't been there you know it feels like there's a this reintegration process that's the big fun word that brad underwood likes to use but it it has looked like that it looks like a team really out of sync they don't necessarily look like they're humming on everything but to be honest you know illinois situation is different but they're kind of in the same boat as a lot of teams throughout the country especially during the time with the two-time waivers we've had a lot of different teams have guys get just randomly tossed into your rotation and you got to figure it out. So Illinois is far from alone with that constantly, right? Like 
here's an Illinois comp, Southern Miss, gets Andre Curbelo, middle of the year, kind of got to throw him in and figure it out how, how this is going to happen. So I think that Illinois is in starting to figure out what they need to be. And I, I just feel like mentally Terrence looks like he's thinking instead of playing. Yeah. We've seen a lot of that like indecisiveness of when I want to drive the basketball or when I want to just shoot it. And it feels like he's still trying to figure out exactly what he wants to do on a possession by possession basis. But I still think overall they're a much better defensive team when he's on the floor if he can start defending at his level. And I think part of the 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 equation with this team is that like we thought it'd be defense first leading to offense. It feels a little bit backwards right now. It yeah. feels like offense first and defense lagging behind. But I do think that water's gonna find its level and Illinois is going to get back to playing at a better defensively because I, I think Shannon is one of the better wing defenders in this league. Looking at the month of January, they're five and three. One of those losses is at Purdue without Terrence Shannon. You made a comeback, had a chance um, late in that game. I, I don't know if you ever really were threatening them, but you at least made a run at the end of the game. Most teams are going to lose at Purdue. Everyone's losing at Northwestern besides Chicago State, and that was a pretty epic Northwestern performance. But you do look at that sample size. They're eighth in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency, 69th in defense, which actually is an improvement from where they were a couple of games ago. Uh, but do you think there are any adjustments Brad Underwood needs to make defensively? Because you know, some of these talented guards are getting the best of them. I mean, Jameer Young and Boo Booey do it to most teams, but some of these big guys are, are kind of cooking a little bit going one-on-one. So do you see any adjustments Brad Underwood needs to make? Uh, we've talked a lot about the plan, right? Like Illinois does a really good job of taking away shots at the rim, taking away threes and living in the mid range. And they're still doing that for the most part. So I think the process is okay, but I have not liked some of the execution lately. I think some of those concerns about, you know, defending the basketball without sincere Harris have started to come into play. Like, and I, I think it's execution, honestly, more than it is like this, like scheme needs to get changed. Like maybe you add a little bit more like, Maybe you add a few more traps. Maybe you shake things up a little bit more with your with your uh, post-defense work. Maybe you change a few things with your ball screen coverages at times. But for the most part, I think their process is still sound. But they're just letting teams get way too comfortable, way too easy. Like the straight line drives that Terrence Shannon's been giving up, Justin Harmon's been giving up, even Ty Rogers at times when he's getting hit on screens or taking weird angles to get around screens are a little bit concerning to me. You know, I I joked, I thought Justin Harmon had a concussion because I felt like he got hit by every single screen that Northwestern set for him. Like he got hit every time and Trent Frazier never got hit by those screens. Andre Corbello able to get skinny and get through those screens. You see like Houston, Jamal Shedd never gets hit by those screens. And so Illinois is getting hit by those screens a lot right now. And so that's a question mark. Like that's execution. That's understanding the scouting report and getting to it. So I don't want to, you know, you, we've talked about this. Hey, Illinois process is good. That process has still hasn't really changed. They're still forcing some of those tough shots. They're still taking away shots at the rim. They're still trying to limit threes. But like we have got to like they have got to get back to the point where like as a basketball community, we always talk about like the process and results. Like I feel like the results right now aren't good. So then we're going, oh, this process needs to change when really it needs to be more executing our process a little bit better. I I totally agree with you because you look at some of these numbers during conference play. They're allowing the fewest amount of three point field goal attempts per field goal attempt that the teams are, are doing. And they're third in two point percentage of defense so like those things scream that they're doing pretty well at these things but I agree with you I just think you need to win your battles a little bit more I I do think every once in a while like switching things up surprising a team uh it does feel like 
Brad Underwood's married to this every possession of every game, which over a long sample size might work out for him. But just every once in a while, maybe throw a post trap, maybe maybe go a little bit of pressure, and just to, to switch things up a little bit more often. But I, I do think it's got to be a pride thing. I, I think it's got to be a focus thing. And this team seems so dialed in through that Missouri game, right? Through even Northwestern without Terrence Shannon defensively. I just haven't seen quite that intensity and bite defensively lately. Yeah, that's a great word, the bite, right? Like, just like, can you feel them? And this personnel, I thought that Illinois might try to tap into, you know, turning teams over a little bit more just because they're so fast and they have a lot of size, positional size. So far, that hasn't really been the case. Now, Coleman Hawkins is trying his best to, to individually change that turnover rate with all of his steals that he's been racking up. But I, I do think that like you can start to become a little bit more confrontational. But again, when you have positional size and you want to play a bunch of six foot six dudes, it's not that surprising that those elite guards are able to kind of get in and out of your thing. Like that's where you thought that Sincere Harris is going to be a big part of this team. And now if he's not going to play, that's where I think Justin Harmon has to take the onus on himself. Like that that's my job. Like, and he has to tap into that again, because I felt like at times it feels like he vacillates between like being super dialed in on the scouting report. And then other times he just isn't. And so that's where the, for me, it's like, if you're going to be a big part of this rotation, or if you're Dre Gibbs Lawhorn and you're like, Hey, I'm trying to work my way into this rotation, being that point guard stopper, that feels like a job that no one has really embraced so far yet right now. And that feels like your path to minutes. And totally. if you can win that point guard stopper role, you're probably going to get on the floor. I know we've covered this a long time. The way for freshmen to get on the court, defend and rebound. Uh, that's a good way to do it. I think for Terrence Shannon, that needs to be the simple focus right now. Like, I know you're trying to get into rhythm offensively. You want to be Terrence Shannon All-American again. The best way for him to get easy buckets and get confidence is to get in transition, and that's to get stops. It's to get rebounds so he can push it in transition, and it's to stop people defensively. I think – become all-world defender Terrence Shannon like he looked at points before his suspension. I, I think that's got to be his focus. I think that can really get him back involved. No question. And, you know, overall, the numbers this year, Illinois is 12 points better defensively with him on the floor. Their defensive rating's at 93 with him in the floor on the floor. With him off the floor, it's about a 103. You know, if you have a 93 defensive rating with Terrence Shannon on the floor, that's going to win you a lot of games in yeah. Big Ten play. And that's adjusted, right? That's adjusted. That's not just raw points there, like for, for um, you know, meaning a meaningless competition. That's a that's an adjusted thing against high major competition. So you have got to have this ability where if Terrence is, if Terrence is on the floor with the Marcus – if they go with the Terrence lineup with Marcus Damask and Coleman Hawkins, Quincy Garrier, and Justin Harmon, that's in the lineup they've actually been closing with a lot lately. Yeah. You know, you're probably your best perimeter defender is Terrence. Like, I, I liked putting him on Boo Booey, but he didn't win those matchups. And, like, winning those one-on-one -on -one matchups have to be a huge part of it because you're going to see some really, really talented guards coming up. You have Ohio State on Tuesday with a team that's super desperate, and you have to find a way to stop Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale. You got Michigan State coming up next weekend, right? Like, you have to – who's guarding Tyson Walker and A.J. Hogard, right? Michigan, you have like, – wait, is that game at home or on, at home? So then Doug McDaniel wouldn't play, right? Yeah. I have to remember that. That's so weird. Right. But like you have Maryland coming up. Penn State will have multiple guards. Like you have these things coming up and then you look at it in the big uh, in the big dance. Like you're going to see some really good guards and that has to be a big part of it. If Terrence Shannon is the guy that wins those one-on-one -on -one matchups like we saw earlier, like he had times against Tyler Kolek where I thought he gave him a hard time, right? Like that. So it's not impossible for him to get back to that type of level. They need that in order for them to reach their ceiling. Because again, I still think that this team will win in March on defense. 
that's that's where I think that's where their path is. This offensive boom has really caught me a little bit by surprise a little bit, and it's kind of been a, a blessing in disguise a little bit because it's masked some of the defensive issues. I still think at, at its core, this group could be one of the best defenses in the country, and they need that if they really want to make a deep run. I want to get off Illinois and the rest of the Big Ten here, but uh, offensively, they continue to be top ten in the country. It was an ugly game against Indiana, but that is kind of an outlier so far. Uh, what do you make of the, this offense, which is kind of a slower-paced booty ball offense but their efficiency is is through the roof like so what do you make of this offense is this sustainable does this win when you get to march yeah i've been thinking a lot about the illinois penn state comps but this team feels like it has some houston in it with it's just voracious offensive rebounding like they go at teams on the glass and that ability to generate second possession second chance opportunities feels like everything for this group and i'm not super concerned about the numbers at the rim i like the attempts at the rim they're getting a lot of shots at the rim because of the offensive rebounds i think water's going to find its level there a little bit with able to make shots now you're going to miss a lot of shots at the rim when you have a lot of offensive rebounded tips and stuff all that like that's just going to happen but the pure amount of second chance opportunities that they're able to get is huge like they're 16th right now in offensive efficiency now houston has a great offense not because they take these amazing shots they shoot a lot of jumpers in fact no team shoots more jumpers than houston right like they don't get a ton of shots at the rim but they get so many opportunities because they're offensive rebounds so i i like what this group is going to mold into because i still have some concerns about the shooting but it's really minimized when you're the best offensive rebounding team in the country. And and yeah. right now, Illinois is 16th in offensive rebounding. And that stuff matters. Like, let's pull up, like, the top offensive rebounding teams in the country. I, I don't think it's a, a, a surprising trend that, like, okay, Florida, they're second. That's a really good offense. St. John's is fourth. That's a good offense. Houston is fifth. Good offense. Seton Hall is sixth or seventh with one of the best offenses that they've had this year. Arizona is top 10 with a really good offense. Like, that's the key. UConn. Like, you don't see many great offensive rebounding teams. Exactly. UConn is up there. Purdue is up there. Baylor. You don't see a lot of teams that are really bad offensively that are, are also great on the offensive glass. And I feel like that's a, a part of this group that it seems like Brad has seen what Houston was and has started to mold into that a little bit too. All right. Uh, Ohio State, Illinois plays there on Tuesday. Everything looked good coming into the new year for Ohio State after what was a really disappointing year. Nice finish in the Big Ten tournament for them. But, man, January, they barely get by Rutgers at home, lose three straight, beat Penn State at home, and then lose back-to-back road games against Nebraska and Northwestern. Again, they're desperate for a win, just like they were at home against Illinois last year uh, in the late in the season. But what has gone wrong for Ohio State here? Yeah, this is a group. They're third right now among all high major teams in the fewest amount of shots at the rim. So again, it's a lot of jump shoot, shooting with this group. And it's really tough to, to win games when your best shooters aren't making shots, right? When you're taking a lot of tough shots and they're not making them. So earlier in the year, when they were winning, Dale Bonner over 40% from three, Roddy Gale over 40% from three, Bruce Thornton over 40%, and Jamison Battle. Right now, like they've dropped off a cliff. Roddy Gale had a huge, huge struggle. He's shooting 21% from three in Big Ten play. Bruce Thornton is at 27% from three. Dale Bonner feels like he hasn't made a shot in a month. Like So it's, it's really tough for this group to create and generate anything good offensively when their entire shot diet is jumpers and their best shooters aren't really making shots right now outside of Jamison Battle. So defensively, Felix Wapara is really, really good. And I think Roddy Gale is a good defender. But outside of that, they they have really struggled to be more cohesive on that end. And I think a lot about like 
uh, Kelvin Sampson has talked a lot about how the head coach has its most fingerprints on defense. And we've seen that. And Eric Spolstra has talked about that as well, too. This group has way better defenders and should be a better defensive team than what they are. And that's where, if you're looking to move on from Chris Holtman, that would be a case for me of like why that might not work out at the end of the year. Because this group has good individual defenders. Felix Lafar is a good individual defender. Gail and Thornton are good defenders. Evan Mahaffey was one of Penn State's best defenders last year and has been a good defender at times. Jamison Battle has really good positional size. This group should not be as bad as they are defensively. And that's where I feel like part of it is, is yeah. some of those struggles. They're just not able to get generate a lot of easy buckets. But again, they're talented shot makers. They make shots. And Jamison Battle is, is getting free. And Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale are, are playing with confidence. That's a really talented team. They have no business you know, finishing under 500 in this Big Ten. And that's what they're kind of on pace for. Is it just shut down Jamison Battle for Illinois? Is that is that the key running him off the three point line? I think so. I, but a lot of his shots are really created by other guys. Okay. You know, it's it's really the the Bruce Thornton drives that are so important. Roddy Gale's ability to mismatch Hunt a little bit. Illinois matches up very well with them, to be honest, because Illinois' defense really wants to force you into taking tough twos. And Ohio State will kind of like buy right into that. Like they will take a lot of contested jumpers. So if you're able to beat them on the glass and force those shots and keep Jameson Battle from getting free, I think you're in good position to to do well, right, against this matchup because you have again a lot of positional size. You're throwing, you know you know, a six foot six Ty Rogers onto Bruce Thornton. I would guess that Terrence gets the Roddy Gale assignment, right? You have a lot of those opportunities, but they're going to try to play a little bit like what you do. I think the the jury is out on Illinois. Like, Hey, when Luke Goody, Goody's on the floor, drive him, go after him in one-on-one -on -one situations. When Marcus Damascus is on the floor, like Marcus has to take such a huge role offensively. Teams are going to continue to go after him defensively to just to try to wear him down. And part of me wonders if that's part of the turnover rate that started to happen just because he's getting gone at a lot defensively and he's he's a good defender but when you're getting going at like constantly and then it's like hey now you have the ball and it's time for you to do booty ball offense on the other side like that's a lot of effort for 38 stress. to 40 minutes, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> correct absolutely it's that's a tough job and so i feel like those two guys will again will be tested by that group but if you're able to you know really get your chest in front of them and, and cut off those driving lanes and force them to take those tough twos I think you feel pretty good about your chances because this Ohio State group just hasn't made shots for a while. Chris Holtman started his Ohio State career five straight 21 seasons, four of the five seasons in the top five of the Big Ten. The last few years, he has gone 8-21 and 21 in the Big Ten. Is he on the hottest seat in the Big Ten right now? Yeah, I think he is. And, you know, I, part of it is because Mike Woodson at Indiana, former player there, I think you get a little bit of a longer leash after making the NCAA tournament. Juwan Howard at Michigan, you win the national championship in football, kind of former player, have a little bit of a longer leash there. Holtman, Ohio State has a new athletic director coming in. I feel like all the writing is on the wall that, you know, this was kind of like, you know, you were kind of billed like last year was an outlier. Yep. This year will be different. And unfortunately, Ohio State's following a lot of the same script, right? They're, they were horrible in January last year, and they've been horrible in January again this year. Just inexcusable, to be honest. So he is on the hottest seat in the Big Ten. And, you know, Ohio State also has to look at that coaching carousel. There's some really good names that could potentially be up for bid, like that are, could look for a great job. And Ohio State has a lot of NIL money. They have great resources there. It's one of the best jobs in the Big Ten, probably a top 25, 30 job nationally, maybe for, for college basketball. And, you know, can you can you make a run at Dusty May? Can you make a run at Indiana State's star coach? Can you 
Could you maybe poach Porter Moser? Could you go, you know, hey, does Mick Cronin want to leave UCLA? Like, does Eric Musselman want to get out of Ohio, of Arkansas? Like, there's a lot of bigger opportunities, and Holtman just hasn't helped himself. Like, he really hasn't. Like I said earlier, this group should be much better defensively. And last I checked, they were, you know, flirting with the top 100, outside the top 100 defensively, and, and yeah. that just falls on him right now. And record in close games. That didn't used to be a problem early in his career, and it has been lately. You mentioned Dusty May, and uh, he's a former Indiana manager, right? So, yes. So, yeah. like, I sit there and I go, Mike Woodson's only in his third year. I, I don't think Indiana wants to make that big of a change, but he's 65 years old. I don't think this is going as well as they, they wanted to. So I, I just sit there and go, is Indiana really going to let, like, a Dusty May go to – Ohio State or Michigan um you know does that happen because I mean this is roster building malpractice what Mike Woodson has done this year because their front court as we saw in Champaign is is good enough to win but the back court I mean zero three-pointers made was just a just a terrible stat for him and we've all seen this coming um so if they miss the tournament like what do you think happens there with, with Indiana I, three years in, I don't know if they make a change that quick. Does does Woodson just they retire off into the sunset or whatever it is? But I don't, this isn't working as well as they wanted it to. Yeah, no, I I wouldn't. I don't think he's going to get fired or anything. I think it's kind of up to him on what he wants to do. Now, granted, they have they did try for Dalton Connect. They were really involved with him, and then he went to Tennessee and kind of was like, I'm good on Indiana, right? <laughs> like Tennessee was his number one from that point, and he didn't really he didn't even I don't think he even visited. Indiana after he went to that Tennessee visit so they tried they tried to upgrade this thing you know there's been some talk in the streets that you know portal guards were scared of going to Indiana because of Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway which I think is really weird because if you flip on the tape you can pretty much right. see that you're probably a little bit more talented than those two guys so I, and I don't he's know if I fully buy that he's around 500 in the Big Ten they've been to back-to-back in silly tournaments they won a game last year so I don't think there's like a yeah. ton of pressure on him I'm just is he the guy at 65 years right. old, given what else I think well, you can get. yeah. And, you know, I do think that if factoring next year, they have five-star Liam McNeely on the way. He's yeah. arguably the best, one of the best shooters in the class. So you're going to fix, you'd think, if, a, if that freshman can come in and do that, you could think that. But, yeah, it just it felt like they they tried to the, to manage Mackenzie McBacco at the three, and that necessarily hasn't gone very well. I Even when Kalel Ware's been out, I've been really wanting them to play – McMacko at the four, renew at the five, and then get CJ Gunn on the floor, try to play three guards that way, try to generate a little bit more spacing. But it feels like Woodson just doesn't want to do that, and I'm not necessarily sure why. So it's it's a little bit frustrating watching this group on a night-to-night basis because they do have a lot of talent, but it feels like the roster construction has certainly hampered its ceiling. And there were a lot of calls in early in the, you know, in the preseason that, hey, Indiana's super underranked and we're not giving them a lot of respect and everything. But we might have given them too much respect by picking them sixth, right? Like, because it feels like this group's ceiling might be sixth in the Big Ten. Michigan has lost eight of nine. Um, it's a disaster. What? What is? It's it? as bad as it's gotten. I, is there? I, I mean, like, is there any way he comes back? Like, I don't know how you bring him back. Besides, he brought the Fab Five back to the stadium for a night. I, I mean, I I read the Brendan Brendan Quinn piece on the Athletic, and they're not convinced that they're gonna get rid of him after the season like I, I don't I don't know the only just, way I think you can do that is if they get to like seven big 10 wins eight big 10 wins uh, and just be like, all right we just need a roster reset again 
I don't think they're getting there. This team just looks like it's done. They have completely quit. They just, they've quit. And it's really, I mean, the Ohio State game, they find a way to grind that one out. And you're wondering, is this a sign of life? But just the vibes that that group have been off, you know, and it's so weird. Like right at the beginning of the year, we're like, man, did we overlook Michigan, right? They start 3-0. and They beat St. John's at MSG, start to play really well. And then just the the wheels have completely fallen off that train. And, you know, I, I think that, I think from the outside perspective, I think that they would be well suited to look for a change and try to change things up a little bit because this feels pretty broken. But I could also see them going, hey, like we tried to upgrade this roster with Caleb Love. And if we had gotten Caleb Love, this would be different. Hey, we tried a couple years ago. We almost got Terrence Shannon Jr. Like things would have been different with that. Like I also look at like some of the guys that went pro, you know, could have they have gotten Kobe Bufkin back for another year? Like they've recruited at a high level they have another top 10 point guard coming in next year in the class like maybe you could talk yourself into like just kind of a little bit unlucky but it feels like it feels get, like this group is a i get all of that isaac like kudos to yeah. him for recruiting talent that the nba wants sooner than later um and i know they probably should have gotten terrence shannon they, they felt like they should have gotten caleb love at the same time, are we sure they would have been good with those guys? Because how does last year's team of Hunter Dickinson, Kobe Bufkin, Jed Howard not make the NCAA tournament? How does this team with talent win four of 17 games? Like, that that's my problem. It's like, listen, you can have some down years, you get some bad breaks, that happens. You could say the same thing with like Brad Underwood with our, Ray J. Dennis, right? Like, they, they went all in on him. It didn't work out. Maybe that keeps them from being elite, but they're still a good team. Like Michigan, the last two years is just completely underachieved, even with some of those misses. Yeah. And Hunter Dickinson, I think it's pretty clear he made the right decision to leave, <laughs> you know? Crazy. And so like when maybe Kobe Bufkin made the right decision to leave, you know, like some of these guys have made decisions that have impacted that group and it's worked out better for them than it has for Michigan and so it just feels like the program's in disarray and it it really shouldn't be like this because it wasn't that long ago where Michigan was the class of the Big Ten and one of the better teams in the country and the program was headed in the right direction I'm just surprised by how quickly it's fallen off like this like if you would have said that Jawan Howard experience or the experiment didn't work at Michigan I would understand that but to how it's been like this I don't think I saw something like this coming because the this group doesn't look like it. I mean, this group looks like it's ready to click fast forward to the end of the year yep. and be done with it. Like they, they have not shown any signs of like, Hey, let's turn this around at all. And I just think that's hard to get back. Like even with some roster reset, I, I think that's hard to come back from. All right. On the flip side, coach of the year in the big 10, is it Greg guard again? Or Chris Collins again? It might. <laughs> yeah. I think that's where we're kind of trending to. I think Brad Underwood certainly would have a case if you start to get this group together and, potentially get to you know 15 and 5 in the Big Ten maybe they finish second but I think the job that Greg Gard has done is really really tremendous uh you know there were a lot of signs with that group that you know teams were trying to really poach them in the portal there were a lot of heat around hey is Chucky Heppering gonna enter the portal like hey could Tyler Wall not come back like all of these different situations Greg Gard kept that group together and he did a really nice job of getting guys to buy into different roles. Obviously, the AJ Store thing is different, but Chucky Hepburn's usage rate has went from 25% last year to 15 this year, and he's totally fine with it. Like he's mm-hmm. totally fine taking four or five shots a game and and being that type of guy for them, and that sets the table. I think he's done a really good job because early in the year, they looked like in a completely different tier, right? Like they lose to Tennessee at home by 10. You know, they go on the road and get destroyed by Providence. They they go to Arizona and get run by 25. 
but this group has really started to mold together. Now, I don't think they're I don't think they're like invincible. This is not an invincible roster, invincible that's going to just like, go on this war path through the Big Ten. But Greg Gard deserves a lot of credit for keeping this roster in place, finding the right pieces, changing. He's changed a lot of what they've done to play with a little bit more tempo in the half court at times and and really uh, accentuate what they do well. Like, that's another team that saw what they were on the offensive glass and was like, this isn't good enough. We got to get more offensive rebounds. And so that's been a big part of their you know top five offense so far this year as well. So he's done a, he's done a great job there, but it, it's open because I think Matt Painter's done a good job too. I think Chris Collins has done a great job. And if Brad Underwood gets this group to 15 and five in the big 10 and they're, you know, first or get a share or tied for second, like, he also has a really deserving case as well for Coach of the Year. Shith, he had to put your money on who wins the Big Ten, Wisconsin or Purdue. I still think it's Purdue. I, I think they're too consistent. Um, even their bad games. Like, they did not look great on Sunday against Rutgers, and lot wasn't going right for them, and they just still find a way to win by eight on the mm -hmm. road. Like, that's just kind of what they do. So you kind of look at their schedule coming up. They get Northwestern uh, at home. That's big. And then on the road at Wisconsin, that feels like a huge one. We have two more tilts there, Wisconsin and Purdue. And if Purdue can find a way to go 2-0 and in those things, that obviously changes it. But even if they just get one of those things, I think they're going to be set up because we've seen this Wisconsin team, they're vulnerable. Like they nearly lost on the road at Minnesota. They nearly, or they already did lose on the road to Penn State. And they have some pretty tough games coming up too, right? Like you have on the road at Iowa, you play on the road at Indiana on the road at Purdue, like Michigan and Rutgers are teams that like, we'll see what they do on the road at Nebraska is another tough one for them coming up this week. So I, I just feel like Wisconsin has a few more holes in their game. I feel like Purdue is just too invincible. Like they just, yeah. they're the Purdue's a game is better than Wisconsin's a game. Yeah. So I, I'm going to bank with Purdue right now. All right. I think we all believe that Illinois, Purdue, Wisconsin are NCAA tournament locks. <sighs> Michigan State, like I think right now, is is a lock because the metrics love them. They have good wins uh, over Baylor, Butler, Indiana State is a good win for them. Uh, beating Maryland on the road is a pretty solid win for them. Um, so they still got some work to do, but I think they're probably going to get in. I think Northwestern is probably getting closer to that um, with their big wins at home. So I don't love them in this group, but more confident to make the tournament. Northwestern, or should I, let's just go Nebraska or Iowa, because I feel like Northwestern's going to get in the tournament. Yeah, I am a, I'm with you. Northwestern feels like that nine seed that plays a really good eight seed and wins and then somehow is playing North Carolina in that round of 32 game, and it's a close game at the under four timeout because Boo's awesome. Yes, because right? Boo is just, <laughs> That's, is right now, I mean, if it weren't for Edie, he might be the Big Ten player of the year. He's phenomenal. Have, uh, uh, sorry, side note, but like, has anyone like changed your mind more than Boo Booey? Like, no, I was anti Boo for a few years. Underclassman and now Boo Booey, I love that dude. I was out. I was out on underclassman Boo Booey. Like, just the usage and efficiency was atrocious. Um, but man, like, five years it pays off when you just get old. Five years, you learn how to win, and he's just as, as clutch as they come. Like, he made a couple buzzer beaters, so everyone thought he was he was great uh, as an underclassman, but. Um, he's turned into one heck of a player. I, I agree with you. I've done a 180 on him. Yeah, he's awesome. He's awesome. But to answer your question, I, I do think it's still Nebraska for me. Um, 
Iowa early in the year was really frustrating, but they've started to really play better. And part of it was they they started playing the freshmen, which was really encouraging for me. Like they played Owen Freeman more. They've really dialed up the extra minutes for Brock Harding. They played Ben Creaky at the four with Freeman, and, and that's been a great thing for them. So I do think that they're working their way closer to the bubble. But I think Nebraska, if the season ended today, you know, I don't think Nebraska's in but they have a pretty good chance of working their way onto their right side. I just, I like this group. I like the old, like the old veterans that they've gotten all from winning programs. Bryce Williams, Rink Mast have both, they both won a ton. Josiah Alec won a ton and they've really brought that in there and, and they're going to be really good at home. But again, it feels like this Wisconsin game for them on Thursday. It's a big 10 a days for pretty, yeah, like that's a huge one. Like this next group, like their next three games, I think we'll know if Nebraska's going to make the tournament by their next three games because they get Wisconsin at home, and then they go on the road at Illinois and at Northwestern. If they win two out of three, they're in because yeah. I think all three of those are going to be like quad one games. So uh, that it feels like everything rides on this, and I think they know that too because Jawan Gary had a, a calf strain, and they did not play him right away. I think he could have played this week at Maryland they chose not to so they're trying to get him fully healthy because I think they know that these three games are huge and your boy Kese Tomonaga has obviously been shooting the heck out of it from three but Mast and Williams are are real real difference makers I love how connected that group is too you've seen them have some games where they're just not you know shots don't go in you know sometimes the defense isn't amazing you know sometimes they're a little bit limited when they have to play Josiah Alec a ton because he's not really a shooter but that's a group that they're really connected, and I feel like Fred Hoiberg's done a really nice job with that team because you know that that they could have easily the wheels could have easily fallen off for them early in the year, and they just refused to give in. And I, I respect that a lot about them. I'm sorry, Illinois fans. I know you don't like this, but I am very excited to see Casey Tominaga in person on Sunday at State Farm Center. Uh, we just had a Big Ten hot seat conversation. We didn't talk about Ben Johnson, by the way. Yeah. So how about that? <laughs> How do we how do we talk about this? All right. So <laughs> early in the year, early in the year, I was pretty down on Minnesota. And, you know, then they played a little bit better against Missouri. And you're like, oh, they have a chance. And then they blew that game. And then the San Francisco game happens. Ohio State happens. It's like, okay, same script. Like, we know how this is going to go. And then they started figuring out a little bit. They start three and one. And they're 12 and three overall and start to play a little bit better. So I think I, from the outside, have just assumed that Ben Johnson's gone. And I think internally, from people around that program, that hasn't necessarily been the case. So I, 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 how do we, this dichotomy between like, hey, Minnesota is going to have an opening. They got some teams there that make a lot of sense. There's some programs, the coaches there that make a lot of sense to fill that void. I don't know if that's necessarily the case if they find a way to get to eight or nine Big Ten wins. That's key. Um, that's that, that's going to be not impossible. Hard. It's going to be hard, though. Uh, their schedule gets yes. really, really tough here. They got to beat Rutgers and Penn State. They got to find a way uh, to protect home court, whether it's Indiana late in the season, uh, Ohio State coming to them. There's not a lot of easy wins left on their schedule, but I'll give them this. Like I thought it could have been a Michigan kind of look for them. I, I thought the team could have really just folded at some point during the season, and they have. They lost four straight, but they come back, beat Penn State, almost beat Wisconsin at home. They're plucky, man. They play hard for them. So like that, that's a low bar. But I had questions about whether that would happen. So uh, year three of Ben Johnson, I think he's added some players, developed some players. Like Hawkins has been really, really good for them. Pharrell Payne has really stepped up as a sophomore big man. You know, Cam Christie does some things as a freshman every once in a while that I like. So uh, they're, they're playing for him. And that's 
that's a number one thing you want to see as an AD after two terrible first seasons is are these guys playing hard? Are they giving themselves a chance to win games? And they are, and, and he's developing some talent. And their process is really good. I, I think he, he, like Brad Underwood, has decided that we're going all in on limiting threes. Like that's our that's our identity defensively is we're you're not going to get threes. They did a great job on Casey Tominaga early in the year. So they've had some hiccups with their transition defense. It's a younger team, new group, like some of their issues there. Um, but he's done a nice job with their process, I think. And they're not poorly coached. Yes. I don't think they have the most talent in the Big Ten, but they're not poorly coached. And I like the process that they're that they're that they're kind of going into every game with, and we'll see if it pays off in the long run. If they don't play on Wednesday of the Big Ten tournament, I think Ben Johnson is for sure back for a fourth year. Like that that'd be a pretty big accomplishment for a team that I think was unanimously picked last. I mean Penn State might have gotten a few votes for last, but they were definitely bottom two in the projections. Absolutely. And he's done actually a decent job in the portal too. Like yeah. I think a lot of people like were a little bit iffy on Elijah Hawkins, but Hawkins was a really nice get for them. And then the other guy, Mike Mitchell out of Pepperdine has been a pretty nice get for them as well too. And you look at this group, Dawson Garcia could come back if he wants. Hawkins could come back. Pharrell Payne could come back. Like you could have a lot of cohesiveness where you get seven rotation players back next year. That yeah. might be the, 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 the process for Ben Johnson to earn a fourth year. Uh, last one for you, because I think it's the one team we haven't mentioned. Is there a bounce back here for Maryland? Like, they've won four of six. They're five and five in the Big Ten. Boy, they got talent. Jameer Young's a top three player, uh, likely, in, in the Big Ten. Julian Reese is, is a load. You know, obviously not a lot of depth there, but can Maryland make a run at a bid here? Man, it's going to be tight, but I don't think it's impossible. I think Jameer has really put the program on his back. Yeah. Like, hey, we're just not going to go out like this. We will not do this. And so I, he's been awesome for them. The other key thing for them, too, is they've started to increase Jahari Long's minutes a little bit as a guy off the bench who could make shots for them. I think he's hit multiple threes in three straight games. And the bar for them is just so low. Just make a couple shots from downtown. And sure. it feels like Maryland's offense looks like – night and day better and so you kind of look at their their resume they really don't have horrible horrible losses now uab and davidson aren't great but they're not you know they're not like program like like they're not chicago state losses like that northwestern has on its resume so their margin for error is super thin moving forward but i do think they do control their own fate because jameer is talented enough to win a game by himself dante scott has started to hit shots again if I make or hey, uh, Jamie Kaiser can continue to make shots and, and Jahari Long is making shots, like I feel like their the defense is going to be something that travels on a night to night basis. It's like, can they get to seven threes a night? That's like yeah. the number I keep thinking about. Can they make seven shots from downtown a night? If they do, they they could work that way. And if you're an Illinois fan, you're going, hey, like you can win as many games as you want. <laughs> you can win as many games as you want to make that home loss not look quite as a like an outlier. Yeah, and they got three, I think, really significant opportunities left at Wisconsin, home against Illinois. We know they've owned Illinois, and then at Michigan State. If they can get two of those, I think they're feeling a lot better because I do think they'll, they'll beat up on the bottom of the Big Ten just because they got more talent than, than a lot of those teams. So it'd be it'd be a pretty big disappointment if they don't make the tournament with this you know, starting lineup that they have, Isaac, but uh, they got some work to do. Yeah, Bart Torvik gives them a 4% chance of getting in right now. Yeah. So it's thin, but it's not – impossible and you just got to get hot and you know with this group when you play defense like this and when you when you play at the tempo they have 
it's going to be a grimy two possession game with five minutes to go and they're going to find a way to win. that's feels like their last month has been two possession game with five minutes to go and we're going to win half of them and we're going to lose half of them now they got to try to win like 70 percent yeah. of those moving out uh, when you got jameer young you might have a chance all right isaac trotter this was awesome man thanks for uh getting us caught up to speed on everything in the big 10 appreciate it man. thanks for having me great stuff from isaac Appreciate Joey Wagner, Ryan Easterling for jumping on with us, talking some Illini football recruiting as well. It was a little bit longer of a podcast, but a good one for the start of a week where Illinois football gets its third commitment in 10 days and Illinois basketball prepares for a road trip at Ohio State. Just got a text that Illinois three-and-a-half-point favorites at Ohio State uh, would be a big road victory for them. I know Ohio State's struggling. Um, but they need to stack these road victories if they want to stay in contention at the top of the Big Ten and continue to build their resume. This would be a quad one victory right now. And Illinois needs more of those. So sneaky, sneaky big game for Illinois. Thank you for listening to the Illini Enquirer podcast. Give us a follow, rating, review, wherever you get your podcast. Check us out on YouTube. Hit the like button, notifications bell, subscribe to us. We appreciate all the support there. Everybody have a great day. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Illini Enquirer podcast. Bye, everybody.